Welcome to Big Martech, the show where we talk about the big topics and the big ideas in the marketing technology industry. I'm Juan. And I'm Scott. So let's dive into last week's recap. So Scott, you and I had a heated discussion about Twitter and Elon Musk. Sure, we were the, the only ones having that heated discussion last week. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. I thought it was pretty quiet, actually. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we dived in and talked about um, a few different angles on that um, situation with Elon. It's obviously, it's progressed since then. Um, but I think one of the most interesting aspect uh, coming out of that was this whole idea of, so what can disrupt Twitter? And what are the things or different companies or startups that potentially could be a replacement for Twitter? You know, Twitter has got the really strong network effect. It's so significantly important to news media, to politics, to so many parts of um, the information ecosystem today. But you said, and we had a really great reaction from the, uh, from the audience, uh, where you were talking about, well, now's probably the time to really disrupt Twitter. Um, and I kind of agree. And there's a few interesting um, comments. I mean, there was one uh, gentleman, his name's Chuck uh, Walter. Uh, he uh, is the founder of Friend App, and it's a social media platform that's geared towards helping people connect in real life of all places, you know, which is kind of the inverse of what you see in normal typical social media is that it tries to pull you deeper into the digital ecosystem, whereas this app is really trying to help people facilitate connections outside in the real world, face-to-face, you know, of all places. And so, yeah, I think that was quite an interesting take. There was also Mastodon, which I think a lot of people this week have gone, hey, maybe we go to Mastodon instead. It's kind of behaves the same way as Twitter, but then it's like horrendously hard to set up and you have to set up your own servers and there's a lot of complexity with all of that. But, you know, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, out of out in the ecosystem, do you, do you have any bets, Scott, on, say, a social media platform that could potentially uh, unseat Twitter into the future? Well, I will say I am seeing engagement, uh, at least in my world in Twitter, like plummet uh, this past week. Um, uh, and of course, uh, yeah, rising elsewhere, uh, you know, it's like water, you know, it, it, it's going to flow somewhere. And so, you know, for those of us who like, yeah, we have like these professional circles and these networks, we will find a way to connect. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, you had even mentioned like uh, last week, you know, uh, Jack uh, Dorsey's got his new thing that, you know, he's working on, you know, maybe that's a potentially more user-friendly version of Mastodon type concepts or whatnot. Uh, We'll see how that shakes out, but I do think it's a great time uh, for innovation. And I don't know, it's, um, you know, it's funny, this thing about the friend thing, I'll just real quick, I'll say, Many eons ago, uh, before the web, there were these things called bulletin board systems. Um, I know. I ran one as a kid. Um, And the thing that was fascinating about it is all these people who would interact online, but they were very local bulletin board systems. And so the best thing about these communities on these local bulletin board systems is like every week they'd like have a meetup somewhere and they go and they get and it'll be a little party and they'd like arrange big picnics, you know, once every two or three months and hundreds of people would come. And so I think, yeah, you know, this thing about like social connection and finding ways to rethink how technology can facilitate social connection instead of Mm. arguably like disintegrated. Um, Yeah, I think it's a (laughs) thrilling time for uh, innovation here. 
Yeah, I, I think it is too. I mean, you've got I, I the past week I did a um, analysis of the situation with Twitter, but in the broader social media ecosystem. Great. And one thing that stuck out to me. No, oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, one thing that stuck out to me was that there's all these social media apps that are in the entropy zone, which is you know they're on this slow decline. The, the incentives for users is becoming less and less. It's becoming more hostile to users and their experience. It's very much trying to gamify attention, you know, like Facebook's in that category, Twitter's in that category, you know, and you've got others as well, like Instagram as well. Um, and, but then you've got like these really stable social platforms. So for example, uh, even though tw uh, uh, YouTube, I consider YouTube a social platform because it's got content, it's got comments, it's got um, a network effect. But a platform like YouTube is continuing to grow, and it's one of the only sort of really legacy social apps out there that has um, onboarded the next generation successfully. And so they're growing, monetization's growing, and they're still successful. Even they're one of the oldest social platforms out there, you know. And so you've got like these really interesting legacy incumbents that are um, very, very stable. Like LinkedIn is another one that that platform's only growing. It's very stable for users. Um, but then you've got these like five minute sort of viral hot takes on different types of social, like be real. And the latest one with teenagers is gas, you know? So you've got like this really interesting space where you've got innovation, but like the interesting apps that are coming out are very, very specific on what they're trying to do. It's like one specific use case. They're not trying to solve for everything. And then there's all this very like stable platforms that people rely on day on day in, day out. But I don't know, watch and see. I think that we've, I think there's a lot there we can continue to d discuss and talk about. Um, in the social media space, because it's just moving so quickly, probably quicker than ever at, at the moment. Um, but yep. uh, how about we roll in into our topic? Now, uh, there's been a lot of talk and there's been some interesting announcements from a few different companies on reverse ETL features. Uh, it's a growing category in the MarTech space. Um, some really interesting companies that are breaking out and a ton of new startups as well. But what's your take on the situation at the moment in terms of reverse ETL? And the question I have is, is are we in a hype cycle at the moment? Is this hype or is this a real trend in how brands are actually changing their data architecture and how they manage customer data? Uh, what are your thoughts, Scott? Well, first of all, I love this topic. It's like <laughs> at that perfect intersection of complete and total nerdiness and incredible potential impact for marketing. Um, wherever that Venn diagram intersects, you will find me uh, uh, eagerly. Um, you know, and just yeah, for our audience, in case if they're like, what the heck is like reverse ETL? Um, ETL uh, used to stand for well, stands for you know extract, transform, load, which is basically a fancy way of saying for years, people have been wrestling with the challenge of how do we take data from all these different systems push it into our data warehouse, you know, and then modify it as we need to, to make it useful. Um, you know, uh, so what's happened is obviously the whole data warehouse world in the cloud, you know, it's exploded. This is, you know, a huge portion of, you know, this evolving data ops infrastructure and companies. Uh, but it also now created this interesting category of reverse ETL, which is to say, oh, well, all this data that we have in this data warehouse, can we start to manipulate and manage it and then feed it back uh, you know, into things like, you know, our marketing automation systems, our CRMs, our sales engagements apps, uh, you know, all these things. Um, and so this has been a really fascinating space because, you know, it kind of also intersects a little bit of like the CDP world, this idea of like, oh, can we have these data systems, you know, that's sort of at our layer 
below the actual engagement apps, uh, you know, that we think of in marketing, but they're helping like pipe the data to the right things at the right time. So I don't know, I'll, I'll kick it off by saying, um, I think it's both a hype cycle and a trend. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of hype happening around the data ops layer, but I genuinely feel like this is, this is a fundamental new capability and whether we're calling things ETL, reverse ETL, is it part of the data warehouse itself? Is it part of like a CDP, you know, the terminology is all over the map, but this idea of saying like, listen, we gotta like pull all this data together and we've gotta be able to harness it effectively, not just for doing analytics after the fact, you know, weeks, months, years later, you know, but for like dynamically driving our business. I mean, what do you see? Yeah, I think there's, so the moment that this switch from a, uh, I would say a cottage industry that's growing into something that I think actually is a, there's quite a bit of a trend here was uh, the past two weeks has been uh, two announcements from prominent um, customer data platform companies. One was Segment Twilio. So they announced a warehouse uh, data activation feature set um, and Empirical as well. So Empirical mainstay, very successful CDP platform uh, globally. Um, same deal. Uh, they've announced their own warehouse data activation set. And I had the background to think, well, yeah, there could be CDPs coming into this space. But uh, what's fascinating to me is that it's almost like a self of um, a form of self disruption in a lot of ways, right? Like the whole premise of this reverse ETL trend is like, you don't need a data warehouse that sits on top of the CDP packaged into a product like segment to do all this stuff, you can just get all of the activation tools that a CDP typically offers and then put that straight on top of Snowflake or AWS um, or um, Google Cloud Platform. And so it's it's almost as though these CDP companies are coming to the table and going, yep, we'll probably have to undercut ourselves here <laughs> to play in this new emerging space. And so for me, that was a trigger point to go, okay, this actually definitely seems like it's a trend now. Um, it's looking at Okay, that's also addressing the customer needs. I'm sure these, these brands are talking to their customers and understanding what they need as well. But it also follows the trend, <coughs> excuse me, the trend between <coughs> the modern data marketing um, maturity curve <coughs> and also the, um, the way in which data architecture is changing. I mean, you know, a CDPs, I would say in a lot of ways, <coughs> were a shortcut to value in that um, you employ the CDP, it sits on a warehouse and it does all the tooling for you. Sure. There's a bit of a, um, bit of upskilling in terms of implementation, but once it's in, then marketers can use it. They can get in, they can create audiences, segmentation, they can activate it. They, all those APIs come pretty much straight out of the box with a lot of these platforms. And so it's almost like a shortcut to value. It's kind of like saying, well, the CDP is like, if you had a warehouse that actually kind of worked <laughs> in a lot of ways, that would be kind of what reverse CTL is um, promising here is that you should be able to link in with your core data, um, link in with all of that enrichment that happens in warehouses increasingly and uh, platforms like DBT are definitely helping with that equation around audience engagement. So in my view, I don't know, man. I, I just think that there's, there's, it's following a maturity curve there. And when I see Segment and Empirical come out with features which both undercut their business, I think there's something definitely there to look at. Yes. Wow, good, okay, well, um, yeah, you know, I get all choked up whenever we talk about, you know, reverse ETL and CDPs too. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fascinating <laughs> to me. I, I would say, 
this is one of the things where I think there, there's a uh, evergreen debate in technology between theory and practice, you know? And I think in mm. theory, this is like, I mean, the whole like data app universe is like, hey, listen, there are two things. There's the apps we actually use that like engage with customers, our employees use. And then there's a data layer that aggregates all this sort of stuff. Why do we need anything between those two? Can't we just like bring them together? And I think this is obviously like, you know, an architectural trend that, you know, is getting a lot of momentum, you know, but I do caution that, you know, these things, you know, like reverse ETL, like CDPs, it, you could almost dismiss them as middleware, but the 50 year history of technology is middleware is enormously valuable and effective, you know, because the difference between the theory and practice very often comes down to issues around performance, governance, manageability, or things, you know, purpose built for, you know, the teams that are using this in a way without them, you know, having to, yeah, you know, set their hair on fire. Like, I mean, you and I were just talking about, um, you know, for the social stuff, like, okay, well, you can use Twitter. Or you can set up your own Mastodon server. <laughs> and there's just a whole bunch of people like, well, I'm not setting up a Mastodon server. And so, you know, you could argue, yeah, there's all these benefits in theory of like, you know, uh, bringing things down to their simplest possible theoretical layer. But, you know, in practice, there, there are a lot of other factors. So I'm not quite willing to say like the, you know, um, reverse ETL and CDPs and all these sort of things in that middle um, are doomed. I, I, but I do think they're in an area that's evolving very rapidly. That's, that's going to be very fluid who the winners are, who the players that we even think of is like, who do we turn to for this capability? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, 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 it's the two sides of the coin. Either you look at this and it's enormous threat to you, uh, in this industry, or you look at it and you're like, wow, this is an enormous opportunity for us. Um, so I'll be very curious to watch how these companies play this out. Yeah. One of the big missing pieces for me in the reverse ETL value proposition is that it actually lacks, um, identity resolution, which is a, I would say a cornerstone of customer data platforms. I mean, that's one of the biggest use cases that, um, CDP solve is uh, resolving around an identity, say stitching from a customer that visits on their mobile device on a website and then also visits on their laptop or a customer who makes multiple transactions, um, you know, and they're buying from different sort of um, uh, businesses, you know, being able to resolve on a customer identity is so key to being able to doing effective marketing and reverse ETL have not yet, well, these, the platforms, so the big ones that are, that are native to reverse ETL is um, high touch data, which we've mentioned many times now on, on the show, um, but also census as well. Uh, those are the big two category um, uh, sort of competitors right now. And uh, both of them don't offer identity resolution just yet, but I am thinking about how that much value that adds, you know, what do you do with identity resolution and say, a platform that just activates data. Usually identity resolution for sophisticated teams in data warehousing, they'd, they'd actually do that within the warehouse. Um, they would stitch customer, they would have a golden record or a master record where you'd stitch those identities together. Um, that'd be doing all your sort of data cleansing and hygiene and that's all sitting in your sort of master record and then you can send that out. And so I, don't know, I think there's an interesting sort of missing piece there that CDPs have played a pretty crucial role in terms of figuring out who the identity of a customer is. But but how do you see identity 
um, fitting in with the sort of puzzle pieces of the uh, quote unquote modern data stack. All right. Well, this is again another one of these like evergreen uh, uh, cycles and debates in uh, the world of technology, which is you know bundling and unbundling. Uh, right. <laughs> the only two ways to make money. Um, you know. And so yeah, absolutely. Identity resolution uh, uh, is crucial uh, in a world where we've got all these different you know channels and touch points. You know, and the only way in which we can truly harness first party data across our company is to have good identity resolution. But the question is like, should identity resolution be bundled into something like, oh, well, whatever I'm using for my CDP is going to be my thing for identity resolution, or is it bundled in the warehouse, or is it bundled up in the CRM or the marketing engagement platform or things like this? All valid things, but you also wonder, could identity resolution just be a service? And I can choose to plug that service into CDP. I can plug it into a data warehouse. I can plug it into a CRM. I can plug it into a marketing automation platform. You know, I, I think that'll be one of the really interesting things. Yeah, identity resolution is super valuable, but does it have to be locked in this category we've traditionally just thought of as uh, CDP or, I mean, even before that, right? Well, that was the whole point of the DMP, <laughs> just in the advertising world of like, yes, identity resolution across all these different, you know, crazy third-party, uh, you know, data, you know, sources that we're using, so... Yeah, well, the DMP is a funny, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, DMP and, you know, you talk to someone who perhaps just started a few years ago and they go, well, DMP, what? What is that? The data management platform was based on third-party tracking and third-party data and gestion and identity resolution and all that kind of thing as well. But you're right, like that category went away. I think I remember actually a show that you did, um, I think it was a year or two ago with um, Oren Greenberg and he tracked... Um, I think it was, he was tracking through SEM Rush um, a whole bunch of uh, web traffic to different Martech vendors, and he saw this constant decline in the DMP category because of the tech, the technology, the third-party nature of the data was just becoming less and less supported, and that ended up declining. And so, that's the the, the question here is like, can that happen with reverse ETL? Right? Like, does CDP become the declining technology like DMP, and then you've got this next wave, which is reverse ETL? Um, the one, I think the one advantage and perhaps a killer app um, in the reverse ETL space is um, being, bringing together both marketing data and also operational and IT data. I think that's a really interesting one to look at because, you know, if you look at most CDPs, uh, a lot of them are geared towards marketers. Like I would say most of them are say, hey, we'll build your marketing blueprint use case. We'll build your, um, your, your website personalization use case. And the CDPs are very specific on things like customer data, behavioral data, um, you know, transactional data, more of the sort of really customer use cases. But increasingly, I think as brands try to modernize how they um, interact with customers, I think increasingly they need uh, business data, like operational data, uh, you know, data that is not necessarily associated with marketing at all, um, that is, has a big impact. And so... I think that's yeah. sort of the killer use case there is that reverse ETL, because it sits in a warehouse, it's not so much as geared to just marketing use cases. It can actually bring in and, and all kinds of customer data um, and then gives the ability, if you um, if you want to, build a use case around it or activate it on a channel or just create a pipeline with another application as well, you know. So that, that's for me, that seems like it's a it's a big piece here is how do you bring those worlds of sort of yeah. IT operations and marketing together? 
Yeah, no, I'm 100% in agreement. I mean, this is what makes the data layer so exciting is, yeah, it's not a marketing data layer. It's not a sales data layer. It is the company's data layer. And it's like leveraging in this first party data era, you know, all this data that we have across an entire customer lifecycle. I will, I, I know we're probably running to the end of our show here, but one thing I'll just say here, <laughs> this is why marketing and MarTech is so hard because you know, it used to be that we'd have these generations of technological revolution that would happen over like a decade. And you're like, okay, every 10 years or so, we need to rethink, you know, what are the tools? What are the architectures? How do we leverage this? I mean, just to have been like in a matter of like, what, five, six years, like, oh, there's the DMP, there's the CDP, there's the reverse ETL. Actually, maybe we can do it all just in the data warehouse. It's it, it's epic. It's a real, it's a real problem. Um, and I don't have the solution to it, but I think one thing that's going to be really interesting, both because of the fact that this isn't just marketing data, this is, you know, company-wide data, and because the sophistication of the technical architecture is increasing significantly. Like, almost all of these solutions, you know, now are... It's not something you just sort of like noodle your way through and like, you know, uh, pick up. Don't just watch a couple of videos, you know, in the academy and you're like, oh, yeah, no, I can architect my data warehouse this way. Um, you know, it's really reuniting. Uniting sounds very positive. It may not always feel that way to some folks, but it's reuniting marketing and IT. Like the depth of collaboration that has to happen around these capabilities now. That, that, that sort of silo that, you know, I think marketing kind of been living in for arguably this past decade. Well, hey, listen, we have our MarTech stack. We'll do what we need. Thank you. IT will call you if we need you, but we're not calling. Um, that just isn't working anymore. Like this data layer is a company-wide collaboration, uh, and it absolutely changes the power structure between IT and marketing, I think. Do you agree? I, I, I agree on the theory. But if we go to practice, most big enterprise brands has enough data to to warrant someone like a reverse ETL. Um, they they live in a world of silos still. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but yeah, unless you're a, a fast growing technology startup, it's highly networked, and you don't have that siloing between teams. Um, it's really hard to break out of that framework of like you know hierarchy siloing of different teams which means they have different things that they want to build with their with uh, customer data, you know, and so that leads to that sort of focus in the one pocket here or there, you know, the amount of companies I've spoken with over the years, Scott, where uh, they've said, we don't have a CRM, we have like five CRMs, or we have like 10 instances of Marketo, you know, I, 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 I agree in theory that the data layer should be the company data layer, not just marketing and not separated out, but in reality, I think we live in a world of silos. It's just a fact. I mean, that's probably one of our challenging bits around reverse ETL on the other side is that it kind of, you kind of really need to break down the, the silos for, for this to be really valuable in a business. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I guess I would, you know, I know as we come to the end of our show here, um, yeah, this, uh, this is going to be a really interesting topic uh, in space. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe we should again, like, end. Uh, we've been getting such great feedback, uh, you know, and ideas from our audience. So the question we want to ask you this week is, do you see marketers increasingly engaging with data warehouses? What do you think? Uh, and with that, let's just say, yeah, thanks for joining us for another big week in MarTech. 
Don't miss an episode by uh, subscribing at bigmartech.com and go do big things. Juan and I are rooting for you.